You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Mosaic, a congregation of the Grace DC Network in Northeast DC. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org. Back in January, we started a series walking through the book of Exodus. And as we walk through this tremendous story over these last couple months, we have uh, finally arrived at one of the most famous passages of Scripture in all of the Bible. Uh, you could argue that there are very few passages that are as well known among Christians and non-Christians alike as the Ten Commandments. And at the same time, uh, very few passages that are as misunderstood. We see battles about the Ten Commandments in, in public spaces and in schools. We see oftentimes even Christians really trying to distance themselves from the Ten Commandments because, you know, we're not under law anymore. We're under grace, right? There is great misunderstanding when it comes to the law. And that, under, that misunderstanding primarily stems from the fact that we have disconnected the, the Ten Commandments or these words of God from the story to which they belong. And this morning, what we are going to do is we are going to look at these words from God, the Ten Commandments they are known as. We're going to look at these in the context of the story of God's people. And we're going to look at our passage this morning through two points. And it's all about the covenant community. And we're going to see this. We're going to see that the covenant community is freed by grace and the covenant community is formed for mission. And that's all here in this passage that is popularly known as the Ten Commandments. And so let's let's begin working through this by looking at our first point. The covenant community is freed by grace. Now, I don't know what what kind of context or tradition you come from, but I would be willing to guess that many of you have come from contexts where there was a sharp dichotomy given between Grace and the law, even to the point that the Old Testament is seen as all about law and the New Testament is all about grace. But one of the things that we see in this passage is as we begin to connect it, we need to appreciate it's sitting in the story. And if you remember, Pastor Irwin preached on Exodus 19. And and one of the things that's important is for us to connect everything that's happening in the story up to this point. It's important to note That chapter 19 is when Israel arrives at Mount Sinai. Israel arrives at Mount Sinai and they are going to remain at Mount Sinai for almost one year. And it's going to take the biblical writers, the biblical writer, 59 chapters before they get away from Sinai. It's not until Numbers chapter 10, verse 11, that the people of Israel set out from Sinai. And what we can say, based upon the way the story is developing, is that everything in the story is leading up to this section and everything after it is flowing from this this scene at Sinai. And I know that there's a lot of misunderstanding, a lot of antagonism toward the Ten Commandments. But the first thing that I want you to recognize is this. 
Chapter 19 through chapter 24, that is a section, an important section in Exodus. And the very first thing that God does when they get to the mountain is he reminds them of what he has done for them and who he is to them. And then right after he tells them who he is to them, he tells them who they are to him. Think about that. Before they ever get the law, before God sends the law through Moses, he reminds the people of who he is to them and what he's done for them. And he also reminds them of who they are to him. And do you know what he says? Do you know the way that he frames up these words? This is how he frames it up. He frames it up like this. He tells them that they are to him a treasured possession, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. This is the vision that God holds out to them. This is all about the way that the people of Israel are to live in this covenant relationship with God. In a day where people are looking for guidance, looking for instruction, and we're kind of waiting for that quiver in our liver to kind of know what we're supposed to do. What we see here is that God is not trying to hide his ways or his will from us. He gives his people guidance and instruction about what it looks like to be faithful in this relationship. And if they are faithful in this relationship, well, you know what will what will show up? Just how treasured they are to him. And what will show up is the way in which they priest for their neighbors. And they will be different from their neighbors for the benefit of their neighbors. Think about that. Everything in the story has been working toward this point and everything after works from this point. If you are faithful to the covenant, you will be my treasured possession, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. This is the critical framing of the law. It's all about what God has done. And it's all about what God wants to do through his people. Even Exodus, the Ten Commandments, even the Old Testament is not about trying to work your way to God through the law. That is not what we see here. You have to look at the text. The text is telling us that that the Ten Commandments are what is expected of a people that's already been redeemed. This is what God's revealing. They have been freed from slavery. And now God says, I want to help to order you. I want to help to guide you. I want to direct you. I want to give you instruction. I'm not going to leave you in the dark. And there's a reason why I want to instruct you. And this is why. You cannot disconnect the story of Exodus from the story of the patriarchs. It goes back to Abraham and what God has always wanted to do. What God has always planned to do is to bless the nations through his blessed people. To bless the nations through his blessed people, he instigates a relationship with Abraham and his seed so that all the families of the earth will be blessed, so that, so that God's people will be a light. This is, this, this, these 10 words of the Lord, it's what's expected of a people that's already been redeemed. And what is expected? That by covenant faithfulness expressed through obedience to the law, they would be a missionary people. Have you ever realized that 
the Ten Commandments are all about the mission of God. Have you realized that? Have you ever made that connection? And far from disposing of the Ten Commandments or demeaning the law of God, we have warrant to see how elevated it truly is in what God is trying to do in the world, what God is actually doing in the world. What's expected of a redeemed people, according to the Ten Commandments, that by covenant faithfulness expressed through obedience to the law, they would be a missionary people. They have been freed by grace. And now God wants to order them as a missionary people with respect to how they relate to him and their neighbors, which brings us to the second point formed for mission. Formed for mission. This is the goal. The first two verses of our passage are all about the, 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 the real robust, robust motivation for God's people to lean into the law, to heed the law, to receive it as good. Pastor Joel preached on Psalm 119. Did you get enough vibe from the biblical, the, the, the biblical passage that the law is good? The law is like honey. It's sweeter than honey. It revives the soul. It makes wise the simple. It's a lamp unto our feet. The law is good. The law is good. And the focus of the law, we will see in verses 3 through 17, the focus of the law of these commands is to form the people for mission, not merely to make the Israelites decent people. As individuals, remember, this is given to the community. It's meant to form the community. It's not just about individual piety. It's about the mission that we as a community are to sustain with respect to our neighbors. This law is to form them to be agents of world change, divine image bearers and light to the nations. This is the means by which they are to translate the character of God into the world. This is one of the ways they are to more fully live into their status as image bearers. We talk a lot about image of God and dignity of human persons. But have you ever connected faithfulness to, to the Decalogue, the Ten Words, the Ten Commandments, as one of the most important ways that we live into that identity? as image bearers and we as a community live into our corporate identity as those who bear God's image in the world? How are people going to know what God is like? How might they be more fully led to this expression in the word of what God is like? Perhaps we need to be reminded of the fact that they are led there in God's ideal through the way in which the people of God live together in love. That becomes their window on interpreting what God is like. We are the window for the world to see what God is like. And that is a heavy responsibility, isn't it? That's a heavy weight. But God hitches his reputation to the way we live together in love. God hitches his reputation to the dynamics of our community. Verse 3 gives us the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. And one theologian said that all of the other commandments hinge on obedience to this first one. You shall have no other gods before me. Think about that. All of the other commandments, faithfulness to all of the other commandments, 
grows out of faithfulness to the first one. You shall have no other gods before me. How does that work? Well, here's the deal. If you are called to honor the Sabbath, to to set it apart for that day to be holy. And money is your God. You will not be able to live into that that obedience. You will not feel free from the need to acquire and to work and to grind. You will not be free from your sense of being so important that the world can't continue to revolve if you take a day off. You see, that that failure to be faithful to the first commandment is what leads to breaking the fourth commandment. And it goes right down the line. This is what we see in the text. Notice how in the Ten Commandments, the first four commands are primarily related to God and the final six are related to neighbor. Now, listen, we can't press this too far, but in a general kind of way, what you see is that the Ten Commandments are all about loving God and loving neighbor. And it's not consistent to talk about loving God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength and loving your neighbor as yourself while dismissing the Ten Commandments and what they mean for us as a community. Here's what we see. How you attend to God will shape how you attend to your neighbor. How you attend to God will shape how you attend to your neighbor. If, if we are lackadaisical when it comes to the way that we attend to God, well, what will we do with respect to our neighbor? We'll, we'll be lackadaisical. If we are casual or dismissive of God, we will be casual and dismissive of neighbor unless it serves our purposes and we can use them while still looking good. But it's also the same vice versa. How you attend to your neighbor will ultimately shape how you attend to God. I'm always reminded of that quote of C.S. Lewis when he talks about there being no ordinary people and the, the, the profound dignity of the human person and how he talks about the telos, the trajectory, the final destination of human beings and how either it will be a person so glorious you'll be tempted to bow, tempted to bow down and worship them or someone so hideous that you would see them only in a nightmare. There are no ordinary people. And if it's that way for an image bearer, how much more does that heighten our sense of what's happening on this mountain? You need to get into this story. All of this is happening while lightning and thunder as God's stormy glory shows up on the mountain. The people, it's like, have you ever been in one of those uh, thunder and lightning storms where the, the thunder is so loud, it like shakes your body and it's like, that, all right, that one got a little too close. It's like, like that's what's happening. That God shows up on the mountain and Moses ascends. And the people are like, not sure what Moses ascends. And he comes back down with the law. And, and it's this context of grace where God has redeemed them. They're already rescued. But now God is giving them a very sober communication of what is expected of them as his people that he is holy, that he is righteous and good, and so must they be. That he, he performs rescue in the world and the work of redemption in the world, and so must they. He is distinct, utterly unique, and so must they be. 
This is no casual thing, but it's full of grace and power and formative impact for the people of God. Though they were surrounded by the gods of the culture, Israel was called to loyalty to this God. That's what the first commandment is all about. And I'm focusing here on the word of that theologian that that faithfulness to all the others begins with faithfulness to the first one. You shall have no other gods before me. Not success, not money, not your own self-described freedom, not your own autonomy, not sex. Remember, Israel was surrounded by gods. It was a polytheistic culture. The culture believed in many gods. Remember, God had just rescued them from the gods of Egypt. And he gave them a striking display, a a striking rationale of why they were to have no other gods before him. Why they were to be loyal to no one else but him. Because none of the other ones could save. They were nothings, as the prophets would later say. They are called to loyalty to this God, the God who is holy, the God who made and kept his promises, the God who heard the cries of the afflicted and acted, the God who rose up to defend marginalized slaves, the God who provided Passover protection, the God who judged evil, oppression, and injustice, the God who led slaves through impossibility into the freedom and identity of children, the God who spread a banquet in the desert, The law shows us the mode of life expected of a people united to such a God. So how are we to think about the law? How are we to think about the law? I want to give you three ways to think about the law. The law reveals God's will. The the law reveals God's son. And the law reveals God's way. The law reveals God's will. The law reveals God's son and the law reveals God's way. Let's look at those briefly. The law reveals God's will. As I just said, Psalm 119 and many other passages of scripture tell us that the law is good. Even the Apostle Paul says that the law is good in Romans 7. The law is good, but we're the problem. The law reveals God's holy will. The law is eternal. When we talk about the moral law of God, it reveals what God is like. The Ten Commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. All of these are eternal law. They are unimpeachable. They are true now and forevermore. They are required of God's people now and forevermore, because they reveal God's will. We don't have to spend a bunch of time guessing about so much of life. We are, we are helped along and guided along by God's law. It is a lamp to our feet. It does give us instruction. It does make the foolish wise. It reveals God's will. But second, it reveals God's son. One of my professors, Vern Poitras, once said, all the commandments reflect the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. 
Because if you follow the story out, Exodus 19 gives a very strong contingency, y'all. If you will obey my commandments, you will be my treasured possession. A kingdom of priests, a holy nation. And that is distinctly what God's people did not do. The people of God did not demonstrate faithfulness to the covenant relationship. The law was for that very purpose. It was to give them a roadmap for faithfulness. And they decided to get rid of their Google map and try it on their own. And they wound up in the middle of nowhere. Separated from God on the receiving end of his displeasure. And what we see through the rest of the story, what the prophets are doing is they are referring back to the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. And they're saying, you have departed. You have left your, your identity as God's missionary people. You have left your identity as God's chosen and beloved people. You have left your identity as God's kingly, priestly, holy people. Return. Return. One of the most frequently repeated words through the prophets is the Hebrew word shuv. Return. Go home. And they did not. And that's what makes the life and the story of Jesus so essential. Because guess what? None of us do that either. We are also familiar with what it looks like to toss the Google map and to go our own way. So many of the messes that we have going on in our lives right now are because we have chosen our way to the neglect of community, to the neglect of the wisdom that's been given to us, to the neglect of God's word. We have wanted it our way. And as a result, we have wound up off in the weeds. And that's what makes the story of Jesus so profound. Such good news, because one of the ways that the story of Jesus is framed up in the Gospels is that Jesus picks up the story of Israel and he lives out the story of covenant faithfulness. Jesus grows up as the true Israelite. Jesus is faced with the enemy and rebuffs him in the wilderness where Israel did not. Jesus remains faithful to all of the Decalogue. He keeps it. The Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, are a statement of Jesus' righteousness. And the good news for you and me is that it's this very righteousness that he credits to us by faith. It's this righteousness that he credits to us by faith. Because you know what the good news is? Through his covenant faithfulness, Jesus proves himself to be the Father's treasured possession. A kingly priest, a holy one. And through our union with Jesus, now we who were covenant breakers have become the treasured possession of God in union with Christ. We have become a, a kingly priesthood through union with Christ. We have become a holy nation through union with Christ. And that's why Peter picks this language up and he applies it to the people of God in his book, he says, you're a treasured possession. You're a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. And now we get to resume the original calling, which was to be God's missionary people in the world. 
In Jesus, we see the God who is holy. We see the God who made and kept promises. The God who heard the cries of the afflicted and acted. The God who rose up to defend marginalized slaves. The God who provided Passover protection because he was the Passover protection. The God who judged evil, oppression, and injustice in his cross. The God who led slaves through impossibility, through death, into the freedom and identity of children. The God who now, even now, spreads a banquet in the desert. Jesus fulfills the covenant from both ends. He fulfills the covenant on God's side. Because God, indeed, to be faithful to the covenant stipulations would judge covenant breaking. And it is in Jesus that God can be just and the justifier, y'all. But Jesus fulfills the covenant from our end, too. He fulfills the covenant in order for us to be named as righteous by grace alone through faith alone. The law reveals God's son, but it also reveals God's way. Because now... What the Holy Spirit is doing is not some magical, mystical, ethereal thing. You know what the Spirit is doing? He's writing the law upon our hearts. How is the Spirit doing the work of renovation in the lives of God's people? He is writing the law upon your hearts so that you don't have a heart of stone anymore. He gives us a heart of flesh And he begins to write it upon your heart so that you don't, not only do you long to obey the call to have no other gods before him, but you you long for it. You pray for it. You desire it. And you fight for it. Along with all the other commandments as you grow in wisdom. This is what the Spirit is doing. What's the Spirit doing in your life? He's writing the law of God upon your heart. And nothing that the Spirit is doing in your life is going to lead you to be in conflict with the law of God. Here's the deal. The Spirit wants us to more closely resemble Jesus and bear witness to him. And we just said that the law is the record of the righteousness of Jesus. So do you see how how it looks? Jesus shows us the paradigm of what human life is when lived into this covenant faithfulness. And the Spirit says, "Uh uh-huh, I got the archetype. Now let me begin that work in the lives of the people. And by the Spirit's transformative touch, the law, the beauty of the law, faithfulness to the covenant relationship with God begins to show up. And also love for neighbor, because that was also always a part of being rightly related to God. When Jesus said in Matthew five through seven that the law was fulfilled, he went on to discuss the law and our obligation to keep it. He didn't throw it out. We have an obligation to keep it. When Paul wrote in Romans 13 verses 8 through 10 that love is the fulfillment of the law, he then quoted from the Ten Commandments and explained how love binds and empowers us to greater obedience. In other words, he doesn't leave love up to our own definitions. It looks like living into this covenant relationship for the benefit of the people around us. Every time we talk about loving God and loving neighbor, we're quoting Jesus' summary of the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, and confirming its continuing importance in its expanded form from Exodus 20. Here's how it works. Jesus fulfills obedience to the law for you. 
And the spirit produces obedience to the law in you. I'm going to say that one more time. Jesus fulfills obedience to the law for you. And then the spirit produces obedience to the law in you. This is the relationship between justification, being declared righteous, and sanctification. That, that, that process by which God works into your life the moral and ethical beauty of Jesus. And remember what it's all for. It's all for mission. It's all for the benefit of our neighbors. Remember that famous quote that the church is the only social entity that was intentionally designed for the benefit of those who are not yet its members. We exist for the benefit of those who are not yet members of the church and who may never be members of the church. We are to be a light to the world. And one of the things that we must remember in an, in an age where it is very difficult to maintain the distinctives, to be a holy nation, as it were, when we are feeling the pressure to capitulate and conform to get along for the purposes of just being more relatable to our neighbors. In an age where we feel the pull of that, we must remember that God intentionally designed his people to be countercultural for the benefit of the culture. To put it a different way, to be against the world for the benefit of the world. We must be against the world's individualism because it's killing the world and we want it to live. We must be against the world's materialism because it is choking the life out of the world. And we love the world and know that that cannot result in their flourishing. We must be against the world's notions of self-actualization for the benefit of the world. Because we know that ultimately that is a pathway to ruin and we must hold out the pathway of life. We are responsible for our neighbors. You see, this is this is not this is not a new thing. This is an old thing. And I think that you could even be reminded of what God is out to do in forming us by going all the way back to that first that first story in the social context where Cain asked the question, am I my brother's keeper? And what we see is a continuation of that story that God is out to form us in such a way that we recognize that that is a part of loving God. Is keeping our brothers and loving our neighbors. And being courageous because we know that this is truth and God's truth. God's word is life. It's a pathway, Torah doesn't mean legal code like we're typically prone to think. It means the way of life, the pathway. So let us be mindful of these things and lean into what it is that God is doing to form us as his missionary community for the benefit of the world. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Grace Mosaic. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org.